You're listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. It's long-form one-on-one conversations with veterans in the arts. This show is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events. Everything from stage readings, which we do every Saturday, April through December, to the literary blog, to this podcast, to our Write Loud events on Instagram Live. All our lines of effort are always available for you to check out at vetrep.org. That's V-E-T-R-E-P dot org, vetrep.org. Of course, the latest, most notable event that we are pushing at VetRep is our Savage Wonder Festival on May 29th, 2022, the day before Memorial Day. We will be celebrating Memorial Day in a way that only veterans in the arts can with a festival of veterans in the arts. About 40 different performers, artists, bands, theater, movie screenings, poetry. It has a it is a cornucopia of veterans in the arts and it will take place at Sugarloaf Performing Arts Center in beautiful upstate Chester, New York. What else do you need to know? It will be there all day. Three stages, inside, art gallery, outside, God, so much stuff, beer gardens and uh, rock walls and I don't know, a whole bunch of stuff. It's going to be uh, controlled chaos. It's going to be a great time. Um, I'm trying to think of when you're going to be listening to this episode. I think tickets will still be relatively cheap when you're listening to them, but uh, just to be safe, get them now because they're going to get progressively more and more expensive the closer you get to the time. So set aside Sunday, May 29th, 2022 for the Savage Wonder Festival. All your questions about the Savage Wonder Festival can be answered at savagewonder.com. Again, that's savagewonder, all one word, dot com, savagewonder.com. Speaking of the Savage Wonder Festival, my guest today is Auguster D. Williams Jr., who will be at the Savage Wonder Festival displaying his collages in mixed media. <sighs> Gus is a hell of a guy. Um, he, he was referred to me, or I was referred to him, I guess you would say, um, because, uh, you know, he was a veteran. And the second I saw his art, I, I was blown away. I didn't, I couldn't tell on Instagram if it was, painted or what but i was like uh this is awesome i i personally am very partial to large abstract uh pieces of work and um and gus is right up my alley uh and then to find out it was actually collage and um you know that was very cool but all it really takes for me to book somebody on this show is to like their work and to know that they're a veteran and in most cases, with very few exceptions, I know very little else about the person and usually haven't even spoken to them before. In Gus's case, he and I have been speaking because we've been planning out the festival and, you know, we actually met in person, which is something I haven't even done with most guests. Um, but I, you know, we were talking business. I wasn't getting into uh, his life and I was saving that really for this, for the show. And Gus is a novelty for us uh, on the show for several reasons. Uh, he's the first Cold War veteran that we've had on the show. Uh, he served in the Navy in the 80s. And that was a shock because he has good genes 
and he t- looks, you know, 10 or so years younger than he actually is. So I didn't even realize he was from that era when he had told me he was a Navy veteran. Secondly, um, Gus, and it is a little bit of a spoiler, and it's also something I, I don't, you know, I don't normally like to identify people by the hard times they've had in their life, but this is an issue that, you know, the veteran community cares a lot about. So it's worth mentioning that Gus is a formerly homeless veteran and um, his story is uh, epic in an awful lot of ways. He goes from very high highs to very low lows from being part of the marketing, uh, the hip hop culture uh, and marketing boom of the mid nineties to being a homeless veteran um, hooked on drugs and living as a squatter and a petty criminal in Harlem, um, you know, years later. And as Gus says, when he describes his work, he's like, you know, his work is collage because he builds these collages out of reclaimed materials, materials that were destined for a landfill the way he says he was destined for a landfill. I mean, you hear stuff like that and you can't help you be moved unless you're a fucking sociopath. So, um, you know, that certainly understanding that about him gives me a whole nother layer of appreciation for the art that I already liked that I saw from him. And we're going to be featuring his art actually on the blog all week. Um, as we're promoting this episode because, you know, it's hard to talk about something, you know, a whole lot without you actually seeing it when we're talking about visual art. Um, but he is, uh, yeah, he's a great guy and, and it's, it's a hell of a story and it's a story I am proud to bring you guys because it's a story we haven't, it's unlike anything we've had on the show to this point, which to be fair, I can say almost every week, uh, we we've never had anybody where it's like, Oh yeah, I've heard this story before. Um, every, every veteran artist, and it's probably because they are artists and how they intersect with the big impersonal bureaucracy of the department of defense is always going to happen in a very unique way. So each one of them has been incredibly unique. Um, but the unique nature of Gus's story is one that, um, I don't know, pinged off a, a lot of things in my life. Uh, Gus, you know, spent time at Rikers and in the tombs in New York City. And those were the two facilities that I actually was at um, a lot for five years as, as a prison chaplain. So knowing that Gus, you know, I don't know if he was there at the same time as me, but um, actually the timeline may even match up in some ways. I don't know. Um, but it, it's just it, it, that means something to me. Um, so personally, this was, um, you know, a, a moving episode for me and then finding about his artistic journey and, and his reclamation work. I don't know. I'm just excited for it. I, I know I'm going on a little bit at length, but I'm trying to set this, tee this up right for you guys. And, uh, I'm still unpacking a lot of what he and I had just talked about, but maybe I've teed it up enough. So let's get into it. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the artistic director of the veterans repertory theater. And this is the savage wonder of Auguster D. Williams, Jr.
welcome to the show, Gus. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Dude, it's a it's a pleasure to have you on, man. Um, so let me start at, at where I first found out about you and started tracking what you were up to. Uh, I got a message from uh, Jay Leroy, who runs uh, Highland Highland Falls Arts Alliance, and he said, "Hey, here's a Navy veteran. Are you? Do you know about him? Do you know his work?" Um, and at the time that he sent it to me, not only did I not know your work, but I was like, I don't, did, what, what can I do about this? Like, there's not a whole lot, you know, like we don't do art. Like I'm not doing showings on a gallery space. Um, but I was like, oh, well the obvious play is to get you on the show. So I went ahead and created an entire festival just to get you on the show. <laughs> uh, but no, listen, I, I mean, it was, um, but ever since then though, it, it mental, you know, it was one of those, it actually was one of those instigating moments that led us to do the festival because, um, I was like, God damn, there's a lot of really talented veteran artists that aren't necessarily right on brand for us, but I'd like to find a way to give a higher, a better platform to and raise their profile. And the fact that you were on top of it, you were local. I was like, well, there's really no reason um, that we shouldn't make the the effort to try to put something like this on. And um, without knowing you were local or knowing anything about you, you just happen to do the kind of art that I particularly really like. I love big pieces. I love abstract. I love, and, and all the mixed media stuff you do, it just, I was like, this is freaking badass. I think, I assume everybody's like me and is going to like it. <laughs> That's just, but I love that stuff. So I was like, uh, I, it was just, it was just a blast to, um, be able to get the festival together, but you'll get you on the show and talk to you about all this. Cause I think, um, I think you're somebody that people should know about dude. So there's my big compliment to open up the show to you. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> um, well, let, let's start with you. Let's start with you, with your journey. So when did you start doing art? When, when was art factoring into your life or did it factor into your life at all at an early age? It, it really did not factor into my life at an early age. Although, I was always creative. I mean, I was the guy that, you know, I'd take uh, model cars and try to make different different kits fit with other kits that they aren't supposed to fit with. <laughs> and then I'd paint them some weird colors that cars normally don't come in. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, or I'd sketch and doodle. I was a big uh, comic book uh, aficionado, aficionado when I was young, graphic novels. and. Okay. Uh, I, I try to, you know, sketch the the characters and the, the superheroes and those sort of things. But I didn't actually start uh, my practice as a serious artist till just very recently, about four okay. or five. That's what I thought. Okay, I want to get to that in a second. But the, let's let's understand where you're coming from. Who were you then as a kid? If you were you an artist, were you who were you considered to be? Were you the model? model car redesigner were you just the comic book kid that was fantasizing about being a superhero who were you uh, oh man when i was a kid man i was very active i was born and raised in buffalo new york um you know my, my dad was a pipe fitter by trade mom was a buffalo school teacher it was me and my sister real stable household had a great time when we were kids big family we were very family oriented um my it was funny because uh my my family, my father's father had a delicatessen in downtown Buffalo. And uh, we used to spend half our time uh, there because my grandmother lived over uh. the delicatessen. 
And all the fans, I was like the where everybody that came. That was a meeting place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where everybody came. So my biggest aspiration when I was a kid was to grow up, was to become a teenager and be able to work in this delicatessen. You know what I mean? Oh, funny. Wow. <laughs> and, wow. I was, and then also I, I was I, I was a weird kid. I, I really liked school. <laughs> you know what I mean? And math was my favorite subject. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. What a nerd. Oh my lord. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what did you but did you have any aspirations outside? I mean, were you totally focused on your teenager life and like going, hey, I, I'm just next step forward, I'm gonna work at the deli, or getting into math for did you think there was something you were gonna do with it? No, no, not really. I mean, you know, I took everything for granted when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I thought everybody was like me till sure. I got realized they weren't <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> you know but but uh I was just a kid having fun taking a day at a time yeah you know? really very simple I, I kept things simple and um you know it might it probably didn't get complicated until I joined the military <laughs> you know what I mean yeah military can <laughs> yeah. do that yeah 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 so we talk about that evolution where how did you end up getting into the military okay well um I eventually started working at the delicatessen when I was like 13. So you, you accomplished your dream. Nothing left to do there. Yeah. Yeah. Set for life. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm good. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you know, other other teenage aspirations came along. Like, you know, hey, what about college? You know what I mean? Um, mm. What about some other things? You know, because I really because other people were talking about it. You know, not so much as um, I had this great plan. You right, know what I mean? Right. I have a great plan. I was just, I was just a kid that was good at school, good at sports, had a lot of friends, worked, and you know, I was like, you know, everything came easy to me to mm. a certain degree. Mm. But then, then as I got a little older, I said, I can't work at the delicatessen for the rest of my life. Um, and I and I hadn't made the proper arrangements to really choose a school and a a, a career or or any of that. And um, I was kind of just started floating floating around. So when high school ended, and you know I'm still at the delicatessen, and I I, didn't, I, I hadn't enrolled in any schools. Yeah, it was like hold on, wait a minute. And so my dad kind of kind of gently kicked me out of the nest. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and Did he? Put me, yeah, yeah, yeah. He put me in a position where I had to make a decision, and I just by happenstance I happened to go to a Navy recruiter with a buddy of mine, uh, my best friend at the time. He was telling me about a friend of his or a friend of ours who had just uh, joined the Marine Corps, and I was like, a Marine Corps? Oh my God, who's crazy enough to join a Marine Corps? You know, Beirut was just just happened. You know what I mean? This is like the eighties. You know, I'm like, there's not even a war going on, and, and Marines are taking it. They're taking a hit. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, but anyway, I ended up uh, uh, joining the Navy. I ended up uh, going down to a recruiter and uh, discussing plans to go into the Navy. Took the ASVAB. Did very well in ASVAB. Became, I mean, they said, you know what? You can pretty much, you know, do any job you want. You know what I mean? Um, according to your ASVAB scores. And I was like, oh, okay. And, um, but then something came along that was a little small black eye. Okay. I got 
trouble. I got caught smoking marijuana in public. Okay. Uh, about a year previous. I was about 15. Okay. 15, 16. I got caught smoking marijuana in public. It was on record. Um, it, it was something that didn't turn into a big deal, got squashed, but they had to address it. So what ended up happening was I went to, I had to go to this, like, this, this, in, this informal, yet formal captain's mass or something. You know, I didn't even know what a captain's mass was until I, until I joined the real, until I went to the fleet and actually had yeah. to stand and do a couple captain's masses. It's like a, you know, it's, it's a procedure where someone sits you down and uh, an officer and then they give you an interview, which isn't a normal thing. I guess they wanted to get a good idea of my character, what type of person I was. And, you know, so they asked me. Some so, basic- so this was before you ever joined. Like you, you hadn't even gone to MEPS. You hadn't signed the paperwork or anything. I hadn't signed the paperwork, nothing. Wow. Well, you know what? I, I, I was at MEPS. I hadn't gone to MEPS. Uh, put it like this. No, I hadn't left Buffalo. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? The Navy you know? taking you as far as Buffalo. Yeah, right. Got you. Buffalo, yeah. Wow. wow. And what, what was the captain's mask like? I mean, did that was, turn was, you off of the Navy, Navy at all to put a bitter taste in your mouth? Or were you like, yeah, whatever? Actually, it kind of, it, it was serendipitous to a certain degree because uh, it ended up giving me a, a direct pipeline to go to college and it paid for and everything. What happened was uh, the, uh, this particular, this, this uh, Lieutenant commander or whatever he was, you know, an officer of the Navy uh, at this particular map station in Buffalo. He said, uh, so tell me about yourself. Why do you want to join the military? And I was like, well, my dad was in the army and my older brother at the time was in the Navy. And he, he ultimately went on to retire from the Navy. But wow. um uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, and I was like, well, you know, it seemed to have worked out well for them. And I I wanted to find a way to pay for pay for college, possibly. And he said, well, he said, well, what I want you to do is I want you to write me a one page, you know, like letter saying uh, why you want to join something, a little something mm-hmm. about you, why you want to join the military. Mm-hmm. I said, OK. And so then, you know, I wrote it and he was like, oh, you done already? I'm like, yeah, here you go. He looked at it. He said, wow, a really nice handwriting. I'm like, thanks. And he said, oh, my God, what does this word mean? <laughs> you know? Jesus, wow. He was like, you know, you write very well. He said, just talking to you, looking at this. He said, yeah. you like a kid that knows what he wants to do, but doesn't have a plan to do what he wants to do. I said, you know, you you know me pretty well, sir. <laughs> That's pretty much the case. And then he said, you know, he said, he said, you familiar with the Montgomery GI Bill? I said, yeah, sure, I'm familiar with the Montgomery GI Bill. You know, I think it was seventeen five for a four year commitment. And he said, well, we have the Navy Sea College program. I said, well, tell me about that. He said, well, he said it's like the Montgomery, the GI Montgomery Bill. He said, yeah, but instead of 17.5 for a four-year commitment. We'll give you 35000 for a two-year commitment. I oh, said, I'll t- right. I said, take it, sign me up. You know what I mean? So it went from him sitting down uh, trying to determine whether I, I, I they were going to uh, uh, accept me into the military to him selling me this program about the, G, uh, the Navy 
college program. And he was like, well, what do you think? You Do you like it? You know, I'm Jesus like, Christ. This, this situation turned around very quickly. And, and what year was this? This was like 1986. Wow. Yeah, 1986. Oh, wow. I graduated high school in 1985. Uh, friends were going off to college. And then I was just at the delicatessen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Things out. Yeah. And my dad, my mom always thought I'd work for NASA or something. You know what I mean? My dad was like, you know, what is, what's going on? You know, by then they had separated. You know, and so I had, I had a, a two parent. I mean, uh, you know, they yeah, were split home. Mom was over there, but yeah. I dad half the time because I worked for him. Mom, I live with mom. You know what I mean? So I was gotcha. still both for my parents all the way up until the time I left to to uh, go into the military. What, did they did they try to push you into college at all? Was there ever talk of like, hey, we need to do something about that? Yeah, my mom was like, you know, you know what it was. You know what it was? Because I worked, I got decent grades. I went to a technical high school. I was in college preparatory case uh, courses. Uh, you know, I, I, nobody, I didn't get in trouble except that one time. Nobody bothered me. No, everybody figured that I was okay. It was more like my mm-hmm. youngest got more attention as far as, you know, uh, uh, nurturing in that, as far as those sort of things, not to say that I was, I was neglected in any way. You right. know what I mean? I, I needed, in fact, I was a little too independent and people thought I had my stuff together more than I'm actually probably did. So, you know, I was kind of left alone, so to speak. I don't know if that's a good way to put it. That's, no, it uh, makes total sense. So, cause it's funny when your mom's saying, Hey, you should really go to NASA or I, or I think you, you know, you're that kind of person that then didn't seem like anybody was thinking about the next step of, okay, how do you, how do you get to NASA? Like well, maybe yeah, college exactly. would be the next exactly. logical step to take. Right. You know, of course, um, of course, of course. but you're older. How older, how much older was your older brother who was in the Navy? Uh, my brother, brother Kenny is about four years older than me. He was about four years older than me. Was that a, was that a moment when he joined the Navy? Was the family like, "Oh wow, he joined the Navy"? Like, was that something people were kind of like raise their eyebrows or had a reaction to? When he joined the Navy, yeah, when was, he joined the Navy, like, was that a moment that made an impact on you? Just because people were talking about it and like, "Oh wow, look at him, he joined the Navy." To be honest, not really, because I never pictured myself being in the military. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was farthest thing from from my plans. Yeah, uh, and because I didn't have any plans when the military became an option, I kind of just fell into it, yeah. you know, but I knew he liked being in the Navy and, you know, it seemed to be working out really well for him, you know, but it wasn't something that really, you know, it wasn't a, a really big turning gotcha. point. Okay. All right. So now, so when you were, now that you're about to join the Navy, what job were you looking to do? You got these high ASVAB scores, you smoked the captain's mast. What, what job are they offering you? What job are you looking to do? But here's where it gets crazy because the fact that it was only a two-year commitment didn't give me enough time to really like strike out into, you know, uh, uh, I think in an army or other other uh, branches, they call it an MOS. Okay. And then maybe they call it a rate. You know, what? what's yeah, your yeah, rate? Yeah. yeah. Like, they, whether it's uh, an airman or aviation, such as such as so-and-so. 
So what they have for guys like me that only have that are only doing like a, a one or two year commit a two year commitment. And here's the wild part. By the time I, I go to boot camp, a couple months here, then I go to uh um what do you call uh ATT, a apprentice training department, ATD, a okay. training department for another couple more months. And then you go to the fleet and then you have to work mess decks when you first get to the fleet. That's working in the, uh, the food, the food and cafeteria section where, you know, you just you're scrubbing pots and pans and washing dishes and you're cleaning up, you know, after all the meals. And then they put you into, you know, then you can start striking out for a rate. So then a, a whole year practically gone by and I was gonna, getting ready to get out. So I didn't really have time to really strike out to another rate of strike out to a rate. So what they had for guys like myself was uh, de- the deck deck department. Deck yeah. department is where um, like uh, the boatswain's mates, they run the deck departments. You know, they're the boatswain mates are the guys, they're the grunts of, of the of the ship. You know what I mean? We do the basic maintenance, maintenance uh, when we're in port. You know, the, it's, a, it's a ship. You know, it's, a, it's constantly awash with, with sea and salt water. So it's always getting rusty. It's always, you know what I mean? So you have to sure. chip and paint and repaint. And, you know, so I'm saying like, and then you're putting uh, non-skid on the decks and all of that sort of thing, because those wear away. And, you know, basically you're shining bright work. You know what I mean? It's, it's a bunch of grunt work, you know, but yeah. it's stuff that you have to do. And then when you go underway, which is out to sea, um, the the our duties become a little more intense. We're the actual we're the department that we actually uh, manage about five different duty stations while we're out to sea. That would be forward lookout, aft lookout, um, stat board. So you're sitting there with the uh, the headphones and the forward lookout and saying, "I have a contact 45 degrees west." You know, it could be anything, and then you have to record it. And then make sure that the the, the command, the officer of the bridge, the officer of the deck, OOD, uh, the the bridge commander, the bridge is the the, the, the command center of the, of the ship. And then uh, you have the helmsman. You know what I mean? We're at the helm, and it's like you know, uh, help. This is the OOD uh, helmsman. Five degrees left rudder, and then you have to five, uh, five degrees left rudder. Aye, aye, sir. You know, you have to. Oh, you're that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On that okay. guy. Yeah. Uh, he's the one you know, barking the commands. I'm the one that's just following them out. Yep. And, uh, and then uh, there's a couple other stations, whatever so that, that you do. And it's kind of rough because I was on a very small ship. I was on a fast frigate, which specialized in anti-submarine warfare. Um, it was actually a reserve ship, although I was active duty. So that means it was only half, half manned. Um, and then huh. every, once a month on uh um what do you call it um a drill weekend or something the, the reservist weekend yeah yeah yeah, yeah. To us we'd pack the ship out with a full crew you know what i mean or we're, we're the real crew we just yeah. we're just training the reservists and we go out to sea and then um sometimes we just go out for the weekend or other times we go out for a week at a time we go up and down the east coast um we might go as far as halifax uh, Nova, Nova Scotia up mm-hmm. in the North Atlantic, or we go down to the Caribbean, 
you know what I mean? Uh, uh, so it's like it's like the mission was inherently defensive. So you weren't you you weren't somebody who was going to be going overseas. You're there kind of making sure yeah. submarines aren't coming towards us. Yeah, and, and not even so much as that. You know, we we were training them how to track submarines, but really we wasn't tracking anything. Yeah, right, right. Oh, Soviet subs were always off the East Coast all the time. Did you run into them? Did you ever see one out there? All the time. But it wasn't a wow. big deal. Cold War. It was the Cold War. It was the 80s. It was the Cold War. Wow. You know, I'm sure we had people over there that was off the coast of Russia. And, you know, it was like everybody knows we have a presence there. And but no, you know, it's it's agreed upon that, you know, as long as you don't do anything to violate any codes or whatever. Right. But I mean, it was it was they were in international waters, I'm assuming, right? They weren't like they hadn't violated that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how far off the coast are we talking? Like hundred miles? 150? Even, oh, really? Not even that far. Not even that far. Not even oh. that. Not oh, that's so trippy. Jesus. They're really close. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm talking about 20, 30. I'm talking about 50 and below. You right. know what I mean? Below. I mean, like, it's like, oh my God, you know this? this <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. First time I was like, it's a Russian sub. What are we going to do? You know, battle stations, battle stations. But, you know, that's that was our job. That was that was the uh, function of my ship. And how'd you like all that? I mean, now you're like, I mean, it's not working the delicatessen, but I mean, you know, it's, I mean, not, it's literally not rocket science either. I mean, right. You're, you're kind of doing. Yeah. Either. It was all going on that, you know, uh, uh, well, this is what I'm doing now, preparing for later, you know what I mean? But yeah. preparing for what specifically? I don't know, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to be doing something later. You know what I mean? That's kind of like how I was living my life. Um, uh, but, you know, at the same time, it was I, was, I was enthralled, you know, I was having a great time. I was learning new stuff. I was learning things. I was, I was basically mainly learning about life and people in the world at large, because, oh. you know, everywhere I was going was outside of what I already knew, which was Buffalo. And, um, you know, it was just a, another opportunity to expand my worldview. You know what I mean? And and what, what did that mean mostly? Was that mostly social? Was it uh, political? Was it um, kind of just understanding like, hey, I'm, you know, the Russian sub could blow us up at any time. So I'm suddenly becoming very aware of like geopolitics or was it just, hey, um, my life is kind of getting on track because now I'm about to go to college because I got this two year hitch and it's setting me up. So I know my next steps are kind of getting planned. There's kind of a comfort in that. That's what it was. There yeah. was a. I was on a tra uh, positive trajectory, yeah. uh, you know, and, and then also, like you said, that growth, it was more, I wasn't really concerned about the Russians or what, you know yeah. what I mean? Once yeah. I realized that we weren't men in battle stations when we knew we were there, that, that told me, oh, well, there's other forces going on, obviously in this world that, that they got that covered. You know what I mean? Uh, we don't have to, they're not worried about it. We're not going to worry about it. I'm definitely not going to worry about it, you know. Um, but I know what really used to blow my mind was the weaponry of the ship, the ship's weaponry. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, the, 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 the big gun, you know, with the uh, I forget how many millimeters this shell must be. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
how how powerful. I mean, because they've shattered, they'll shoot it off with doing exercise and boom, boom, the whole ship will rock. You know what I mean? Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, oh my God, that's like we did more damage to ourselves. Than well, it. yeah. And in the 80s, that that's about as close to combat as you get. I mean, that that's it. That's as real as it gets right there, right? Exactly. Um, so so now you're coming. I mean, was there ever a thought in your mind of, hey, I want to stay with this, or is it like no, this is exactly how things are supposed to play out. I'm getting out after two years and heading to college. Never dawned on me now one time to stay. <laughs> it, it didn't even cross my mind. It was like, okay, well, what college am I going to go to? Yeah. And what am I going to study? You know what I mean? But yeah. at the same time, I had a security blanket to know that I had these things in place as far as resources. But I still wasn't actually – I was so – such an in the moment type of guy. Yeah. Person from when I was a kid, I was always in the moment. I was always so into my head about what's going on. And, and then, you know, that I wasn't really making these big, big plans. As yeah. To what I yeah. Do. I was living, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and like I said, I was secure with that. And then I started seeing that, that security began to erode as I got older and started realizing, you know, oh, well, sweetheart, Yes. Uh, and I started realizing that, um, you know, it's like uh, uh, I, I have I still I still have no concrete plans. Huh. You know, what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Concrete plan. And and I wasn't I wasn't necessarily looking around and, and choosing uh, people to, to pattern myself after. You know, I had I wasn't seeking mentors. You know, what I mean, I was just more like into myself <laughs> you know what i mean i was more into myself what did you what did you find yourself doing in your spare time so when you were on leave or when when you had downtime was it was it kind of daydreaming about college was it researching colleges was it doing something else what did you do for fun Where, where's your head at man you know it, you know when you're young and in the military yeah, yeah. in college drink drinking yeah, yeah. Drinkin', you know what i mean Although I, the one good thing about me is I was always uh, athletic and somewhat health conscious as to what I ate and how much rest I was getting and uh, how much exercise I was getting. I played a lot of basketball, a lot of football, a lot of volleyball, all these different activities that were there uh, for us on base. You know what I mean? Even on this board ship, we had a small uh, physical fitness area. Mm -hmm. So I was always and what I did in deck department, uh, it, 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 it uh, required quite yeah. a bit of activity. So, yeah. so those are the things, you know, I was, I was about, you know, chasing girls, getting drunk, staying, yeah. fit, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, maintain some of my appearance so I can kind of like fit in, you know, it was a bunch of guy, young guys just yeah. like myself. Yeah. They were my crew and my family and my partners. And, uh, you know, we partied almost every night. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those were the type of things. Were you, uh, were you a good sailor? You say you got a bunch of captain masks. I mean, what was your what was your military life like? I didn't get a bunch of captain masks. Oh, all right. Okay. I didn't get a bunch of captain I got maybe one, maybe two. Okay. <laughs> you know? All right. Which but is I'm pretty a, normal for a young guy. Yeah. yeah. I got with none but time. You know, I was 18, 19 when I first yeah. went to area, and in some states like Wisconsin or whatever, um, I was able to go 
and have a drink at a bar. You know what I mean? Because it was the yeah. grand, yeah. grand grandfather clause. You know what I mean? Because by the end of the age, drinking age is twenty one, and um, the drinking age is twenty one. But um, what ended up happening was, you know, if uh, if you turn eighteen by a certain time, you could you could still drink even though you weren't twenty one. Um, so that was like my first real opportunity to sit at a bar legally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but I hit big time. You know what I mean? Um, also, uh, um, you asked me something specific. I kind of got. No, sorry. no, no. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, because I'm just wondering about the captain's mass and, and all that and like how that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I had some buddies of mine. A lot of my buddies were corpsmen because I had actually got hurt aboard ship. Um, I broke broke my ankle, fractured my ankle Damn. very badly to a point where they, they had to take me off the ship and I had to spend some time doing uh, on land, as they call it. You know what I mean? Um, six months limited duty, so to speak. So they took me off the ship and I was working at on base. Um, I was stationed up in Newport, Rhode Island. And I was working on base and I worked in a hospital and a lot of my buddies became, you know, the corpsmen, you know what I mean? Yeah. A couple of them were older and uh, somebody gave me some fake, gave me an ID of a guy. They always said I looked like this guy. So they gave me his ID and his ID said he was 21, said I was 20, said I was 21. You know what I mean? And I remember I was at this club one night and, um, you know, the guy at the door looked at it. He said, I know this guy and this isn't you. <laughs> You know, I was like, yo, man, what are you talking about? Give me my ID. And it turned into a big deal. And then, you know, <laughs> just let them take it and just left. But no, 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 that's me. Give me mine. <laughs> and then, then it turned into something and it, and it got back to my command station. It got back to my ship. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that'll I, do it. That'll that'll do it. I got I got a little hot water behind well, that. Well, I mean, it, it, as the two years is coming to an end, are you glad to see the back of the Navy? Are you like, yeah, good, I'm done with that, uh, onwards and upwards? Is there yeah. any, or is there any sense of like fear, like eh, I'm kind of losing a bit of a safety net here because it was kind of a guaranteed thing? Like, what what, what was going on as you transitioned out? Um, like I said, uh, I was looking forward to to leaving. You know what I mean? Um. But it was weird. I actually ended up staying a little longer because I broke my ankle again. Damn. You know? Yeah, I was in another cast. And uh, I actually had to, they couldn't let me go. They wouldn't let me go because I was in a cast. And then they actually came to me uh, and said, you know what? We think we're going to give you a medical discharge. I'm like, well, I'm supposed to get out already, you know? Yeah. You know? It's like, well, you know, you get a medical discharge, you know, you be a disabled veteran, you know. Hold on, I'm sorry. Hold on. Very good. You'd be a bit disabled veteran, you know. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound good, <laughs> you know. What I mean, but they said, well, you know, don't worry, we'll take care of you, you know. And there were some other things that had happened, um, more along the rubs that impacted me psychologically that I'm not really going to go into great detail about, you know what I mean. But it's something that happened aboard ship and. Um, I know after all of this, uh, to this day, uh, I've been diagnosed with PTSD. You know, obviously I wasn't in a war. Mm -hmm. So, you know, well, how do you get PTSD and you haven't been in a war? Well, it was actually, a, I, was in, I was in a war with some, some shipmates. You know what I mean? An incident that happened. 
And uh, I'm not going to go into detail about that, but um, it is something that it did impact me and it did kind of throw me off the track. You know what I mean? And that's, that's one of the main reasons why I was ready to leave. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was ready to go. Um, I didn't, I didn't have that much trust in this, the system in the military and my higher ups because I felt like they didn't protect me. You know, I was a young kid and I felt like I was, I was abused and taking advantage of some, some unknown shipmates, you know? So, you know, I still, I go to groups to this day for that, but it was a long time in between that I wasn't addressing this and wasn't getting uh, any help that I needed in regards to that. Yeah. So uh, my, my main outlet was to work and party. You know what I mean? I ended up, I ended up getting out of the military. I came back to Buffalo briefly. Um, I worked um, just something that really wasn't, you know, in other words, I was still working because I was working saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to college soon, but I still wasn't, wow. you know, still wasn't, you know, yeah. you know, putting things into place. I mean, I had, I had the resources in place, but I still wasn't putting the plan in place. And then uh, I ended up moving to Richmond, Virginia. Um, I began working there. Um, had a really good job and was like, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm not going to stay here and do this when I still go to school. And my sister had already paved the way. She was going to Howard University in Washington, D.C. And um, I went to visit her a few times when I was in the military and while she was in school. And I really liked the vibe and, and the energy. And uh, so that's why I chose to go to school there. So I ended up going to school at uh, Howard University and um, became a marketing guy. Um, I became, I chose them. First, I chose COBUS, Computer-Based Management Information Systems. And then uh, I realized that the uh, it wasn't hands-on enough for me. It wasn't, oh. I needed to do something people-oriented. Huh. Yeah. yeah, I really did, you know. As much as I, 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 I like sciences and math, yeah. that sort of thing. And this is like before the internet. This is before Windows and all this stuff. They're still doing DOS, this operator, yeah. stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it was like, it was, it was kind of like a drudge to me. Um, so I switched over to marketing. And then uh, at some point, you know, I, I met some people that I, some artists that were uh, doing hand painted t-shirts. And then I took their, their t-shirts and then and, uh, started started a product placement business with that. It was like, I found some hip hop artists and I asked them to wear, I mean, I gave them some shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like on national TV wearing the shirts and everybody's going like, oh my God, these guys are wearing the yeah. shirts. Where can I buy them? And I was in a light bulb went off in my head. So I started my own marketing company. It's called the No Not Group. No Nodding, No Sleeping, Full Service Marketing and Promotions. And uh, I had some pretty big time clients and, and I did a lot of lot of things for a number of years. Um, but like I said, those and then I, I found my place. You know, I found my place. I actually didn't even finish college. You know what I mean? I didn't finish wow. college. Uh, you know, I, I was so into working for myself. I was like, yeah, you know, uh, uh, why, why don't you know, I could skip a step. Why I'm making all this money working for myself. And you know what I mean? But at the same time, there were some things that were missing because I still hadn't gotten a mentor. I still didn't really know 
what I was doing. I was a lot of things that I was doing that was right there in the marketing books, but I was like, oh, I can put a, I can put a, an official term to what I'm doing, you know, but it's, you know, based on things that I've learned in this marketing scheme, but at the same right. time, uh, it had taken off so big. This was the nineties and the, the hip hop sports fashion culture. Yeah. yeah. It was incredible. It was exploding. You know, uh, you've heard of the, 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 the uh, Russell Simmons fat farms and the, the Nietzsche's and the, uh, the FUBU's. FUBU's, yeah, sure. FUBU, Damon John, he's on Shark Tank now, you know, it's yeah. like, so it's like, uh, you know, I was, those were my peers and um, that's what I was doing. I was on the marketing end and what I was doing was I was going to California regularly. I was uh, going to the, uh, like, Gower Studios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, getting people uh, for different networks, the wardrobe people to put, you know, the clothing on some of their sitcoms and, you know, some commercials and some, of course some movies. So and where I, were you getting these designs from? Because they uh, weren't yours, right? There was, you were working with artists. And that's the thing that that's the thing. I could always recognize something that was good. I look at, it, I said, that's yeah. going to, that is yeah. going to, I know it's going to be a hit. And this is how we're going to make it a hit. And I know who to take it to. We know who to associate it with. And we're going to give this thing legs. And we're going to go from there. And I had a formula for that. And it was working. It was great formula, um, especially for the time. The times, you know, because it was all about everybody was very supportive. I, like I knew some athletes for the Washington Wizards and the Washington Redskins and the New York Knicks and you know, I was giving them, you know, I'm not going to say who and what and all that. It's not really important. But I would give these guys clothing, hats, T-shirts, whatever, and they would wear them on interviews, you know, mm-hmm. maybe shots inside stuff or maybe a print, a print uh, feature they might have in Sports Illustrated. You know, and then it's like there's a client of mine's, you know, clothing. You know what I mean? Then I started doing some things for Nike and Reebok, you know, but the whole thing is, uh is I was having a great time. I was learning a lot. I was making money. I was building a family. By then I got married. I had a daughter. Um, hold on, I'm sorry. No, you're good. And, and things were going swell, but uh, I kind of lost my focus. Those demons started coming back to haunt me from the, my my trauma that I experienced in the military. Uh, I wasn't talking about it with anyone. And the next thing you know, things start unraveling. You know, um, you know, I start, I start, I started uh, you know, getting into the drug culture. You know what I mean? Um and where were you? Were you in New York, LA, Richmond? I was in DC. Okay. All right. Universities in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. I went to Howard University for a couple of years. Um and as to support myself while I was in college, I worked at a lot of bars, restaurants, and clubs. So through those contacts, I was able to promote yeah. clothing and stuff like that. And then that turned into that. And then it turned into something else, to something else, something else. Right, right. I'm going to the NBA All-Star Games, the Super Bowls, the, the award shows. You know, those were my, you know, those were the track that I was on because I went. I had to be around the trendsetters and the tastemakers. Yeah. Yep. you know, promote uh, 
a lot of the clothing. But that's what I was saying. I was working with clothing designers and artists and, and, and people and music that were very talented. And I always had this kindred spirit with these people. You know what I mean? But I mean, I could recognize something, but I wasn't making anything of my own. But at the same time, a lot of them would ask my opinion. What do you think? What if I did yeah. this? And I'll say, well, why don't you try this, this, that, and that? And it's like, wow, that really works. You know what I mean? So I guess then is when I started really seeing and feeling my own uh, 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 artistic, uh, my thirst yep. for, for artistic things of an artistic nature. You know so, what I mean? So how does this... Um how does everything does everything start to break down because of the drugs or do you just have to make lifestyle choices differently because of the drugs well what happened was you know um i i, I started stretching myself a little thin mm -hmm. i mean um there were some things that i was i was I, as i was growing you know what i mean i i started to take on things that i probably wasn't really prepared for um, I didn't have resources to actually pull them off. Um, what you mean, like events and or contacts or something that you couldn't? It's just uh, yeah. you know, jobs. I mean, uh, assignments. You know what I mean? I, I it, man, I was on the road so much. You know what I mean? I was on the road. It was like you know, I'd be in Chicago, I'd be in L.A., I'd be in Vegas, I'd be in New York, I'd be in Atlanta, I'd be in Miami, and all of these things are going on, but. At the same time, on an administrative, you know, I was a one man show. I yeah. was a one man band. And then I had a couple of really close people with me that were extensions of myself, yep. you know. And I had actually gotten uh, an opportunity to sit down with one of the designers that was like, listen, forget everyone else. We want you to be our VP of marketing. We want to give you X amount of the company. We want to make you a, 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 a part owner. You know, we just want you to commit completely to us. And I was like, okay, uh, that's something that we consider. We'll sit down, we'll talk about. And it was like, well, what is there to talk about? You know, we're the ones out of everyone working with, we're the ones that are really making the most noise. And you are a, a huge part of that. You're a huge reason this to that. So let's just, everybody just, you know, calm down. Let's get sit down with the lawyers. Let's get us in out with the paperwork. Let's get everything in order. And, but I was, I had a big head. I, I was like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, I, I want to do that. But at the same time, I didn't want to do that because I right. felt like I didn't want to pigeonhole myself or feel like I commit to just them. But I think at the time that would have been the smartest thing I probably could have did. Sure. You know what I mean? Financially, it would have put me in a position, you know, because you know when they uh, when they finally sold the company, they sold it to a Japanese firm for a seven figure seven seven figure right. deal, right. and all, all the principals of the company, of which I would have been one of, would have had a six figure job for the next two or three years as a consultant. You know what I mean? It was stuff like that. Right. Those are right. You know. So and, you so if you have to look back, do you think it was kind of like you were outrunning your coverage? Like you were an ideas guy, and you were out there sprinting, doing executing all these ideas but there wasn't the support system behind you to do all the grunt work, the paperwork, the logistics, the, the playing behind that. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I was savvy enough to do, be able to do a lot of that stuff, but this is before, I mean, I got a fax machine and thought I was right. doing it. 
right, 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 right. I was able to hook a fax. I mean, I fax machine that I literally was portable. I would just go and I'm like, can I hook this up to your phone? You know, can I can I plug this in your phone? People are like, what are you doing? I said, don't worry, just just know you can't make any phone calls for about 10 minutes. You know what I mean? And I'm shooting information, I'm getting it. Yeah. But I was high tech. I had a I had yeah. a I had a what do you call those the 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 uh the sky pagers and you know with yeah. the messages and it was yeah. the you know, that's how I did business and, and it worked for a little while, but I started burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. I started burning the candle at both ends. I had a baby, I had a daughter on the I had a child on the way. Uh I was spending a lot of time on the road. Uh the drugs weren't a big issue when I was on the road because funny, when I was doing what I was doing, the marketing, that was my that was that was my fulfillment. You know what I mean? Mm. Like you might look behind you now and you see artwork and all of this stuff, you know, this is for my fulfillment now, but that was my fulfillment yeah. being creating and, yeah. and strategizing and networking and, you know, trying to find new avenues to get, to make, to make people's products, you know, uh, become uh, really exposed and seen. So what ended up happening was, uh, you know, so when I came back to DC, which was my downtime, so to speak, that's when I was uh, drugs then. And that's when I was supposed to be doing all this just uh, uh, administrative work and I can be getting contracts in order. And, you know, I'm now all of a sudden I'm missing meetings with lawyers and, and other yeah. people doing, you know, and I'm like, you know, oh, well, it'll work. out. It's, it's, it's going to be fine. You know what I mean? But, you know, I was fooling myself. By then I was just going into a zone where, you know, gotcha. it was, it was, and then, then are really deteriorating of my marriage, you know, all of those things kind of like, you know. Okay. Got you. So let, let me, let me pause on the, on the biographical narrative. Cause I want to pick that up in a second, but I want to ask about what kind of art you were being drawn to. What was your design style? What kind of design stuff were you gravitating to? As you say, like when you were starting to, I mean, obviously you're branding, you're branding yourself. So I mean, you must've had a look, you must've had a feel. What was it? What was unique about you? What were you finding yourself turned on by? I was finding myself turned on by a lot of uh, a lot of hand painted abstract art that could be hot. You know what I mean? It could be wearable. You know, you could iron it. You could wash it. You know what I mean? Um, and and you could you you know a lot of the colors the color schemes. You know, we were matching the color schemes with with the the night the hottest Nike sneaker that was out, dude. The uh, hottest. You know, or the hottest Jordan that was out. We were we were trying to putting everything together with with mainstream um, culture. You know what I mean? And not only that, you know, uh, I was trying to create relationships with Michael Jordan himself. You know what I mean? Right. right. Talking to Jordan, I was talking to his people. You know what I mean? And, and this Jordan brand had just come along, and they were like doing events, and we were doing cross we were cross uh, cross marketing. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Oh, Got oh, you. Oh, events. And but, where where were you finding these guys? Where were you finding the artists? Was it people you already knew that you just kept going back to, or were you always looking for new folks? No, people people find me actually. Oh, really? Know? Okay. I mean, once once I, I had a couple hits, and people always seeing me. You know, I was like the face behind a couple of these these couple of successes people were coming out of the woodwork like listen you know i this is what i have this is what i have you know i had people that were doing sculpt sculpting uh uh fine arts uh collage 
uh, clothing, music, and and you know, my 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 attitude was, you know, if I could see it and if I could talk about it, I could sell it. You know what I mean? I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's if it's if it's if it's art, if it's fashion, if it's music. You know what I mean? And that's that's where I started, you know, spreading myself a little. Yeah. Too. Were you actually then marketing music? Yeah. Oh, well, fuck. Here's, okay. the, here's the thing. The, the music people, they were so uh, integral to what I was doing because oh. I would I would just take a bag full of clothes, go to hop, go, go drive up to New York and just walk in record labels and start talking to people. And the next thing you know, I it was so strange. Through by me going to Howard University, which was same school uh, John Puppy Combs went to. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That were that were all inspired by the same thing. Had a lot of contacts in, in um sports marketing, sports management, music, uh theater, you know, uh politics, you know, I mean, all these it was a lot of people, and yeah. a lot of a lot of famous people's kids went to Howard University, you know. Yeah. A lot of kids you know black black famous yeah oh so, you know through those contacts i was able to uh you know just just uh really push my personal agenda which was to to you know help people make money and in turn make money myself yeah you know? right but um um the music thing the music thing i mean it was like i would go and, and i'm going to meet the uh the marketing uh, guy at say at def jam or epic records of columbia you know what I mean? And, and you know, they say, oh, we got a project. Dude. This is what we're working on. This would be perfect for, you know, we're going to put you on to the A&R guy. Um, and then who's going to put you on to the uh, the stylist for the next yeah. video? We're going to put you on to, you know, the, the reps in these different cities where we're pushing the project and we're going to have the artists wear your clothing and we're going to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, you know, it was like, you know, and then they'd in turn say, well, listen, um, can we give you such and such units of such and such product? Can you distribute it to yep. such and so? Got you. Or you're going to be doing something at a venue here, uh, a venue in Washington D.C. or or Atlanta, Georgia. You know, can we can we send a rep down to you know you follow your lead, you know, and, and then they can do their thing, piggybacking off your event, you know. And so things yeah. like, I mean, and even if. Liquor companies, everything. It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tobacco companies. It was, it was crazy. It was so great. How long did that take you from, uh, from I guess let's let's say from when you left college or from when you when business was picking up to the degree that you could leave college? How long did it take you from that point to really hit your apex? Was that like six years, five years? Like how long is that taking you to really start to go as high as you went? Everything started really. Like around 92, 92, 93, I started catching my stride. Okay. God, wow, that was quick. Apex was about 97, 98. Okay. I mean, where, you know, it, it was just, it was on fire. Everything was yeah. on fire. Yeah. Going into and in anticipation of the new millennium, the year 2000. But then I say about 99, going into 2000 is when I was kind of unraveling personally. You know what I mean? I, I I was becoming somewhat overwhelmed. And instead of 
slowing it down and, and getting things in order. I just compounded it with more drugs, so like whatever, sure. you know, cocaine habit and some other things, you know, alcohol and marijuana and and uh, you know, and like I said, because I got to the point where I was having these dreams, I was having nightmares, I was having night terrors, and it was easier just not to go to sleep. It was easier just to work. Yeah. yeah. Work, you know what I mean? I, and like I said, you can't, that's, that's not, that's not realistic. You know what I mean? I was burning the candle on both ends and. Yep. You know, so how does that start to unspool? Bam. Yeah. Yeah. What happens? What does that look like to unspool all that? Did, did people just not start calling you back? Did, well, what, what was happening? I mean, it was like, uh, you know, in that, in that, arena it's more your name mm. and your reputation mm. that carries you further along than anything meaning you know if you say you're going to do something and you do it you follow through you know you 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 and you connect with people and that was that was that was my my thing i connect with people really well um and then we could determine exactly how we can help each other you know, we can just sift through everything and, you know, we could, we could yeah. figure it out within the first five, 10 minutes of a conversation. Right. And then we, we could possibly do some type of framework. And then the next day, bam, 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 bam. I'm following through and I'm doing what I need to do on my end. Right. And I had a formula for that, but it got to the point where I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't that sharp anymore. It was like, you know, oh, well, damn, I just talked to such and such so-and-so and so yesterday. Oh my God. I told him I was going to, to FedEx these packages to so-and-so and so, you know, and it was like, well, yeah. people calling me like, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I started getting a lot of calls. Of, what happened? What happened? You know what I mean? You know, it, it, it just, things were just falling apart. That, that's like, that's like the worst words you can hear as a businessman, right? What happened? <laughs> like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> You know what I mean? Where where our motto then was was make it happen. Make yeah. it happen. People was, was famous for saying that. Make it happen. Make yeah. It happen. Yeah. It went from me making it happen to people asking me what the hell happened. You know. So. so what did what did you end up doing? How did this end up? What was the resolution? What did the was the marriage over before the business, or did they both end at the same time, or what happened? Same time. It was, yeah. it was everything was kind of. You know, it tank, kind of tanked at the same time, man. Everything. My my wife had came home. Uh, he came home from uh, the hospital with our baby girl doing eviction notice. You know what I mean, um, I people were banging on my door for money for this or that. You know, you know, and and it was like she was like, I can't do this. And she went back to New York City where she was from originally. And um, you know, I stayed in Washington D.C. and tried to pick up the pieces and salvage things, but nah, by then it was tough, it was too far gone, you know? And um, I hadn't even thought about going to the VA for help. You know what I mean? So what I ended up doing was a geographical, I reconciled with my wife at the time, came to New York City. You know, I wanted to be there to raise my daughter because it was, it was, she was in her, you know, in her infancy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, I, I, I went and I got a square job in retail, you know what I mean? You know. And uh, and I worked part time waiting tables. You know what I mean? Jesus. It was, yeah. yeah, I was like, you know, I was like, how? Wait, how? I was just like, yeah. doing, you know what I mean? Wait, wait. 
You know what I mean? And I, and I could barely do those things. I could barely keep that retail job. I could barely keep that waiting job. Yeah. You know, becoming unemployable. Well, and, yeah, actually, actually, let me ask about that. Did that, was, was there any lifestyle changes? Did you have to drop the drugs? Were you able to maintain the drugs and still do that? Were you able but, to, was it like a relief to, Hey, I don't have this big business. So maybe I got a little bit more mental bandwidth now. Part of it. It was like, all of a sudden it was like, damn, I don't have to meet these deadlines. I don't have to take yeah. these. I don't have to have my shit together. I don't have to have this business plan together. I don't have, it was like, wow, God, I didn't realize just how busy I was and, and how into it that I was. But at the same time, you know, all the things that went with the hard work, the good stuff, those things weren't around it, the money, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, the prestige, the uh the the i don't know just all the things all the good stuff went along went went with the you know went out the window too so and what was the drugs like did you afford the drugs anymore were the drugs still there did you make time for them what was I mean, that like here's the thing when i was doing what i was doing uh, people was giving me more drugs than i was ever mm. buying yeah just because they wanted to be you know associated to something that i was doing you know you know, people that are in the underworld always want to be associated to something that's positive to try to help legitimize them. You know what I mean? I was a conduit for a lot of that, but all I was doing was just becoming involved with people that were helping my business reputation or my personal reputation or my character. You know what I mean? Down like a thing, all everything was deteriorating. So um, when I came to New York and I started working in retail and those sort of things, and I, was, I, I, I stopped doing cocaine for about a, a minute. And all I was doing was maybe drinking from time to time and smoking a little marijuana to wind down. As far as I was concerned, I was clean and sober. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. I was like, I wasn't, I wasn't always out. I wasn't trying to chase down the, uh, the, the next big thing. So um, what ended up happening was, uh, you know, I, I got to a point where I was like, I was very unhappy. You know, I was very unhappy with that. And so I started, uh, you know, I started just really immersing myself in the drug culture in New York City. Oh, really? And how long did that take? How, how long was that process? How long did you do the square life before that started to happen? A couple of years. Okay. You know, years off and on. I had some really good jobs here and there, you know. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, really like making some really good money doing some, doing some things. It was always in sales involved. Sales. Right. Right. Uh, but I could never maintain them. It was always become a point where I would go out and start drinking with the fellas. And the next thing you know, I'm closing the bar. And the next thing you know, I'm coming back to work with the same suit and ties the night before. And everybody knows that I, I must have stayed out partying. And then, you know, that's not going to last. Yeah. You know, and then uh, I started doing the things where I finally just started, uh, you know, I just gave up working all together, gave up coming home, just gave up on life all together. Yeah. Really did. Uh, then it became a roller coaster of rehabs and uh, 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 what do you call it? detoxes and, you know, Fuck. and then finally, finally. And I see it about 2000. Now, this is his next seven, eight years. Wow. Finally, in, in 2000, and 
say, 11, 2010, 2011, I came to Montrose for the very first time. That's the VA down in Peaks, Dunrod, Peekskill. Came to Montrose, New York. And um, um, I started, uh, you know, really trying to get some help. You know, I finally started talking about the traumatic events that happened to me in the military. Um, and then I started getting help. You know, they started really like helping me. But there will always come a point where I would stay in treatment for a little time. I get some clean time and I go back to the back to sure. back to Harlem, back to New York City. And, you know, they say people, places and things. And I kept sliding in and out of that in and out of that for the next few years. And then finally, uh, about 2017, 2018, um, I was back at the VA because it was that was like an in and out, in and out, in and out. VA kind of became my crutch, so to speak. You know, yeah, I, I meant to ask why? Why Montrose? Why was that the one you were going to? Uh, I was comfortable. So was comfortable. you shopped around? Did you go into a bunch of different VAs and like that was the one that just fell right, or how'd you stumble onto that one? Onto Montrose, I went to the Manhattan VA. And then they sent me to the Brooklyn VA to, uh, if I went to detox at the Manhattan VA, they sent me to the Brooklyn VA for, for rehab. And while I was in the rehab at the Brooklyn VA, they said, well, you know, we have other VA facilities that are longer term. Oh, you know? I see. And then I was like, well, what are the options? And then they said, well, Montrose is one of the options, you know, but it was like the closest, you know, yeah. like maybe Binghamton, New York or something like that. Syracuse or something. And I was like, I want to go that far. So, you know, I came up to Montrose and, you know, I, I got used to, you know, how things were done there. Yeah. You know, who, you know, I, started, I knew everybody. Yeah. 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 Everybody. And, and then when it came time, you know, about three, four months go by and then I'll go home and, then, or I'll leave. And then, uh, just the same things will start happening again. I end up coming back. So, you, sorry, sorry, just to interrupt for one second, though. Are you working during this time or is you literally just becoming like a ward of the state because you're just constantly going back into rehab and detoxing? It's a ward of the state. Oh, God. And then I got to the point where the only way I could stop doing any types of drugs or alcohol, I had to either get arrested. Yeah. Admit it. And that went on for about 10 years. Fuck. 10 years, man, arrested or committed. You know so what I mean? Only only because I, I did prison work um all around the city for five years. Where would you where'd you end up spending time? Rikers, the tombs, you know, yep. those places. <laughs> those are the two spots I was at the most. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never went upstate or anything because yeah. I, I never did. My big thing was was always petty larceny, petty larceny, petty larceny. Yeah. You know, I Kind of arrest, you know, just for taking. You were working, yeah. You, were, you had to steal stuff to, to live, right? Yeah. You know, other other creative things that I, I mean, I became a street person. I was a street street person, you know. I lived in uh, New York City tenements and you know abandoned um, uh, apartments, and you know we squat. I was a squatter for a number of years in Harlem and the buildings there. And, you know, it was it was. That's fucking rough, man. Yeah, it Jesus was crazy. Christ. Oh, I was like, damn, I was just I was just at the award show with Quincy Jones. Yeah. You know, me and Quincy was backstage hugging and taking pictures. And how did I get here? How well, it, it's it's funny because you know, when you talk about PTS, 
uh, obviously we're not going to talk about what happened in the military, but it's, it's funny because um, I feel like what you're talking about is a PTS story also after the military, like there's got to be PTS from that. Cause I know like so many guys that come back from combat are like, Hey, I was just doing this. I was just, or I was on deployment and I was doing all these things. And now I'm just this guy here. And there's a culture shock of like, fuck, I'm not that guy that I was two weeks ago for you. You're having the same thing, but going from these heights of like, big business, big marketing, big celebrity to now this, that's got to be a fucking, that's got to be a, a, some whiplash, you know, that goes into that, into tracking that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because my identity, now mind you, as a, we started this conversation in the very beginning, I was just a kid being me, which I didn't even know who me was, but as I was getting older and started learning more about life and more about people, more about myself. And then I said, OK, I'm finally in college now and I'm supposed to do something. And then I chose marketing. And then just not too long, I, I fell into something that was directly involved with what I was studying. And I found my I found me. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is my yeah. call. What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, how, how did this how, happen for me yeah and then like i said when things began to unravel they 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 unraveled in a very uh in a very dramatic fashion you know what i mean just just for folks out there i mean just walk them through like what that's like to be um going in and out of all that stuff was your were did you find that you were just angry at yourself disappointed in yourself um or were you like so numb to all of it that it was just like well, this is just the next step in front of me, and I'm going to go do this. The whole thing was first there's disappointment, shame. Then there's anger because you don't know what to do with those emotions. So then it turns to anger. And then you, you're doing everything possible to make yourself numb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then that becomes that became my lifestyle and it ultimately became me, you know, what I mean? like, wow. And then you look up and the years go flying by. Yeah. Years go flying by. Look, I, I, I'm still lucky enough that I look as young as I, I look. I'll be 55, mm -hmm. you know, wow. I mean, 55 this year, you know, but I got, I got all kinds of scars that you probably, you know, if I pointed them out to you and I can tell you the story behind them and, you know, you'd be like, oh, my God, you know, still here. Yeah. 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 I'm still here. Um, and I subjected myself to a lot of things that I didn't have to go through. Yeah. But you know what they say. It was all necessary to bring me to this point right now. Right. Right. I mean, I finally listened. I finally got sick and tired of all of that. You know what I mean? I finally was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't do this to to people I love. I can't do this to myself, and and in turn do this to the people that I love. You know what I mean? Because now we're talking about years of, of estrangement. Yeah. I mean, uh, we yeah. talking about family. You know, I can just only imagine what my mother or father or sister would say when somebody said, "Hey, how's Gus? How was Don?" And my middle name is Donald. How's Don? How was you know? And they're like. Uh, they might have to come up with something or they might have to tell him oh, he's not doing well or they might say, oh, I haven't talked to him in a while. He's okay. You know what I mean? It, it's just, How often were you talking to them? Did you keep in touch at all with them or not really? 
not often enough. There were times where say months and months would go by without really talking to close members, my closest family, mom, dad, brothers, sisters. You know, and when I mean? you when you did talk to them, what was that like? Were they did they get angry with you? Were they disappointed? Like what was the conversation like? All of the above, you know. Yeah. Got to the point where so much time had passed, it was like they were just happy to hear from me. And I was, you know what I mean? So it wasn't even about where are you, what are you doing, and why didn't you do this and why did you do that? It, it that wasn't the conversations anymore. The conversation was like, oh well, oh, oh, I'm glad to hear from you. Because people become resigned. People become resigned, is you know, to yeah. Nothing they could do. They can't save you. No yeah. one could. You know what I mean? Until I'm ready to stop doing what I was doing to destroy myself. You know? And what was it? What what was the what was the final wall that you hit that made you stop and, and reverse course? You know, it, it wasn't any it wasn't any great event or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most horrifying, terrifying events that you can think of that I've gone through personally, I'd already gone through them and that didn't make me stop or yeah. change anything. But it was just a matter of, um, um, I met, I met a, a, a woman, um, who's now my wife, you know, she was very impactful in that, you know what I mean? Um, I was, when I was with her, I was able to see just how much damage I was doing because I had distanced myself so far from my kids, my two daughters and my ex-wife, you know what I mean? And my mothers and father and family that I, I was, I was, that was part of that, that, that blocking out process. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But then when I got this person and it was like, it felt like a brand new start. And I was actually sober when I met her. And then um, I fell off the wagon a few months later and it, it was like night and day and she saw it and she was like, she was able to become a, a mirror somewhat because I didn't, run away from, I didn't run away from her. Like I ran away from everyone else. And um, she was able, I was able to reflect through her that w- what I was becoming, what I was turning back into. How did she, how did you meet her? Cause how, I'm just thinking like at that lowest ebb, how do you even meet somebody that's going to be able to be that mirror for you? Where, how did that actually happen? Like I said, I was sober. I was, I happened to be in a PTSD program in Baltimore. Um, uh, it was MST program. Okay. You know, gotcha. Very sexual trauma and in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, every other weekend, you know, every weekend we pretty much, you know, go do whatever we wanted to do, you know, until Monday morning. So, you know, it was a lot of freedom in this program. It wasn't like you can just go and do all kinds of drugs. You know, they're not going to go for that. Right. Know, not even drinking. But I, I I left. I came from Montrose and was accepted into this program. Mind you, I had an open case in the Bronx, uh, shoplifting or something petty yeah. like that. I had to, and I had a warrant out, a bench warrant, because I didn't go back to court. And they said, I had to get that. You take care of that. And we're going to let you in this program. So I went and I took care of that. And uh, I came down and I was about four or five months sober. And I just happened to be in, in Washington, D.C. one weekend. Because one week, one week and I go up to New York. Next week and I go to Washington, D.C. And uh, I happened to be in Washington, D.C. with some of my old friends that were really doing well. You know what I mean? And that's, that was another barometer. You know, I'm looking at yeah. 
that, that we all came up together. And I'm like, they have families, they have careers, they have, you know what I mean? They own property, they, you know, they're doing everything yeah. they need. They have kids they've raised and their kids are now getting ready to go off to college. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're the age that, that we were when we met, when we were just young and party. But anyway, um, I was out with, a, with some really good friends of mine and we were, you know, we just happened to go to a lounge. I wasn't, I wasn't drinking or anything. And it was some good music and there was some beautiful people there. And I happened to meet uh, my wife, Victoria. She was there for a, 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 a party, a birthday party, a birthday celebration, I should say. Because it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a big club scene. It was like a loungy scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lay back. And um, she got there a little early. And I was waiting for the, to meet to connect with the people that who invited her there. And by her not being from another country, she had already spent some time here. She had already been in the Washington D.C. area for some time doing research. Uh, she's an academic from Australia. She was uh, here through a, a grant that she had written through that was uh, backed or supported through the University of Sydney. Okay. Um, you know, so it was, it was a matter, and we yeah. hit it up and. You know, we had a great time, talked and laughed and joked and and then saw each other in the next couple of days before she went back to Australia. And then we kept up with each other. You know, but like I said, I was sober. I was for I mean, you know, and I'm sober. I'm pretty I'm a pretty decent guy. You know, what I mean? <laughs> well, no. Yeah. I mean, what did you tell her? Did you did she did you ever have to lie to her? Did you when she said, hey, like, what do you do? Like, what do you say to that? Everything right away. I told her. Did you? Grandma was in. I Holy told her. Shit. Her about uh, uh, the lifestyle I led, you know. I'm like talking about when we first met, like in the couple of days, and it was like I was an open book because. But at this point, at this point, this was 2016. At this point, I was like, I'm not fooling anybody. Yeah. And anybody I meet, I can act a certain way now and put on this face, but I have not been able to maintain anything close to sobriety on a consistent basis. So they, I'm going to expose myself, you know, sooner or later. Yeah. People know what's going on with me right wow. away. Wow. Maybe, maybe just maybe, but me being honest, I'm, I'm, somebody, I might, I might be open because people have been trying to help me for years. I just refuse to take the help. I mean, I might be open enough to finally be able to come and, and help myself. Yeah. I knew I couldn't do it alone. You know, I knew I couldn't do it alone. So, so yeah, so she must, she must have saw something that she recognized and, and saw on me. And I definitely saw something that I recognized and, and, and saw on her. And, um, you know, we've been a team ever since. But, but, you know, there was a time where she was able to, she did see that other side of me. You know what I mean? Because I, like I said, I fell off the wagon. And she came back to the United States and she was like, oh, my God, you know, is that you? You know what I mean? I probably was uh, like yeah, 30 yeah. pounds lighter and every line in my face, every bone in my face you can see. And, you know, back to staying up on days on end till, the, till I just pass out and just, you know. Just, and where were you living at this point? I was living in Harlem. I went back to Harlem. Oh, were you squatting? Did you have your own place? What was your situation? Yeah. Yeah, situation. I still hadn't resolved things with my my ex-wife. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I still was like hanging on the edge of that, 
You know what I mean? Um, we were going back and forth one minute. It would be like, you know, okay, maybe we can get this together. Maybe we could work this out. And then, you know, I'd do something crazy and wow. just see, oh, I see something, nothing's changed. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so right, she had pretty much had enough of me. And uh, so I, I wasn't bothering her, her space. And my daughter was getting ready to go off to college. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I was proud of her and I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want to, you know, be a distraction to her. Um, so I kind of I stayed away. And um, like I said, by then, by then, I lived in the streets long enough and it, it was weird. It was weird. My, 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 my ability to connect with people and be resourceful and bring something to the table always provided a, a way for me to have somewhere to stay, to have somewhere to eat, huh. to safe somewhere, yeah. you know, to, to get to get to, to get money, you know what I mean, to get more drugs to continue to do what I was doing. You know, my my talents were actually a blessing and a curse. You know, my natural talents to to be resourceful and 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 always and find a way of use because that's what I was before. I was always a people look at me and say that guy can help me, and it was the same in the in the, in the underworld, the drug world, the, the 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 streets. That guy can help me. You know what I mean? And no, and it's, like, it's true. I, I I firmly believe that. I think everybody's greatest strength is also the greatest weakness. Exactly. It's, it's always the way. Yeah. So that ended up keeping me out there longer than necessary. If I didn't, if I, didn't, if I wasn't so resourceful, and I mean, I'm not saying this to, to, to glorify any of that shit. You know what I mean? It was, it was a nightmare. Yeah. It was a nightmare. You know, it was a nightmare that I couldn't wake up from. And then I, I resolved myself to, this is, this is my nightmare. And this is, this is, I'm never going to wake up. So I might as well make the best of it. You know what I mean? And, and and I got caught in that mind frame. That's how those, those years went by. But, you know, those those things were, you know, people are always like, come on in, come on in, come on in, come on in, you know, because I could always bring something to the table. You know, I can bring something to the table. So, you know, and if, if that went from from uh, scaling a fire escape. And breaking into a, a, an empty apartment and squatting there, and then had the super come and say, "I'm going to call the police." I'm like, "Yo, well, what do you know? Hey, I'll paint the apartment across the hall. I hope you paint if you don't tell on me. You know what I mean? If you let me, okay, I'll let you stay here, but you're going to help me paint this place. You know, and I got a place to stay for a month or two. Wow, you know I mean? wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, listen, somebody has a job for so and so and so. You know, could you go over there and have somebody pay me to, to do something? You know what I mean? It, so now I got a place to stay and I got a, I got, I got a job and that's how I lived. I lived like that. Wow. Street. wow. You know what I mean? And then I had yeah. people I worked with, you know, who had their own towns and we'd be together in these places and it was our own little community. And it was crazy, man. That's, that's a whole nother, you know, by me living like that, it helped me. Like I guess it was a necessary part of, I guess, my development, my growth. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was it was what I needed to go through to really appreciate what I have in, within myself innately and what I could bring to the table. You know what I mean? Because despite despite uh, really falling to the depths of, you know, I can't even can't, can't even find a word to describe it. You know, I, I still could do things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could do and then that's what finally, 
finally, I'm at the VA, I'm in Montrose. I decide I want to participate in art therapy. Music therapy was was mandatory. You did that in a group and it came for an hour oh. on Wednesdays, you know, 10 to 11. And we'd sit around and we'd hit bongos and, you know, and read sheet music for old classics. And, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, everybody get their own instrument. I'm the xylophone or whatever this week. You know what I mean? <laughs> reading next week, you know? And that was cool. But art therapy was something totally different. Art therapy was was optional. And it was like two or three times a week. And uh, I jumped on it because when I went into that art room and I saw everything in there, I was like, I got excited. I mean, you had paints, you had magazines, you had you had big boards, you had the kiln, you can, you know, you had clay. It was just, it's, here's the thing. Here's the thing when I forgot to mention. Mm-hmm. From as a young kid, I always had ways, I would always look at things and be like, what can I do to, to improve on this or make this mm. into I can sell it? You know what I mean? <laughs> I can sell it. You know what I mean? And, and that's what I when I went to that art therapy room, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I, oh, oh, I could make this, I can make that. It wasn't so much as why well, I could sell it, but it was like I could I could do something. I could do something with my hands and my mind. You know what I mean? That was always the artist in me. Yeah. That was always the artist in me. And it's and it's weird because with music, you can't necessarily own it if you're doing the music therapy because you need the instruments, you need the other sounds, right? But this right. is like this is yours. You can own this and do something. I can look at something. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean, it's this is something. This is tangible. This is something that you know I could take with me. And then also in the middle of that, all right. Let me tell you specifically how it happened. My art therapist, she said to a group of us. She said, listen, you know, I know, uh, you know, we all didn't get here, you know, on the wings of victory, <laughs> you know, whatever. I know everyone might be going through a little something. Now, all that, all that goes without saying. What I want you to do is I want you to bury your soul. She said, as corny as that sounds and as difficult as it could be, she said, just find something in here that you could just want to work with. She said, you can. You could do a sculpture and we can blast it. We could put it in the kiln. But you can, you could, there's magazines over there. You can pull some stuff out of a magazine and make a collage. There's paint over here and you can paint something like a plate or something. And everything in here, everything of the, you know. And I grabbed, um, started grabbing magazines and started doing like collages and stuff and started cutting paper, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know what this this is what it developed into. This is just a little something, you know, just just a backdrop for Zoom meetings. But but um um what I start what I came up with was a collage. I made two. The first one was called Resilience, and the second one was called Love. And in, in parentheses, what's inside? Love what's inside. And um, and I put them together as an installation. And she said, Mr. Williams. She said, I've never seen anything quite like this. She said, number one, let me tell you, I like it. It's good. And she said, and I'm surprised. She said, because <laughs> I'm not, she said, I'm not expecting anyone to just do something. She said, people coming in with talent, you got people who really draw very well. She said, but she said, are you familiar with the National Veterans Creative Arts Festival? I said, I don't know, what is that? She said, well, first off, she said, I want to enter 
this work that you've done into the National Veterans Creative Arts Festival. So let me tell you what it is. She said, it's a, it's a huge competition, an art competition throughout the entire United States, through all the BAs, but it starts first on a local level. She said, so just imagine us being here at Montrose. She said, I'm telling you already, you have won the local competition uh. Montrose for the collage category. She said, so what I'm gonna do is this. She said, I'm gonna submit this work to the national uh, national com uh, uh, committee, competitive com uh, competition committee. And she said, and uh, they have a number of uh, decisions to make, you know, for a number of categories, collage, mixed media, fine art, sculpture, you know what I mean? On and on and on and on and on. And she said, they're going to pick one person for each, each category. She said, and I'm going to submit you for the, the collage category. I said, okay, great. She said, are you comfortable? I said, great, sure. You know, I didn't think nothing of it. Right. You know, since so we took pictures and, she, you know, put together and then you had to write about what, you know, you know, uh, what inspired you to do it and what was it all about for you and this and that and that. And, and that the whole thing with mine was resilience. It was like you had all these mantras in it, you know, courage, you know, uh, 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 believe in yourself, you know, never look back, but never forget. You know what I mean? All these different maxims that was there. And the way I did it, I did it in the shape of the human body. You know, it was my body. And it was, me. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was like, I had somebody trace me out on this paper and then I put it, you know, I just put it all together. And, um, and all this stuff was in the inside of it. And then I came with another one with love. So they kind of complimented each other. So, you know, I wrote about how, you know, I came about all of this and what it meant to me. And uh, she sent it off. And I didn't think about it. And wait, yeah. let me just pause for one second. Is this the first stuff you've done with them? I ever did. Wow. First wow. thing I ever did, I had pictures of it here for you, but um, it's actually on display, you know. Um, but anyway. Uh, so you sent she, it off, yeah. She sent it off. I forgot about it. This had to be like, uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, 2017 like about november or something like that october and then in 2018 like say may or june she gives me a call she said custer we won <laughs> i said what did we win she's like she's like oh excuse me she said you were selected as the 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 uh the overall competitor the overall uh um uh contestant that they chose to represent the collage division for the entire wow. United National Veterans Creative Arts Festival, which happened to be in Des Moines, Iowa that year. And it was gonna be in November, 2018, where they would fly all, everyone out, for, including family member, you know, took great, great care of us, you know, had all these different events surrounding it. It was, it was a beautiful, it was all serious. You're back to being a celebrity again. Yeah. yeah, I mean, wow, holy back shit! Back in my natural element. Yeah. <laughs> I was real comfortable with that. I'm like, oh, this is not Don't talk about it again. I felt relevant again. You. Know? Yeah. That's the thing. So what ended up coming? Like the name of my 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 company is called Puzzle Piece Arts. You know, I, I, it's the marketing guy in me. I can't help but to brand myself Puzzle Piece Arts by Augusta D. Williams Jr. 
And I have two websites. I got AugustaJWilliamsJr.com and I have PuzzleBeastArts.com. So, you know, um, it's like a brand, both things simultaneously. And so what's, what's the difference between them? One is for your personal art and one is for what? They're both for everyone. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. They're both, listen, they're the same thing. Okay. You know, if you put in Augusta D. Williams Jr., it's going to take you. Got you. Goes to the same thing. I got you. The same website. Got you. All right. I'm with you. I just, in my mind and from my own personal experience, I felt like I had to have my name up there to to brand myself. Yeah. And the brand name, Puzzle Piece Arts. Because, you know, when I make, when I do my art, it's uh, it's funny because I have all these pictures that I was looking at that I was going to do some work with. And they're like on the screens. And, and I'm keep thinking that you could see them for some reason. I want to say, hey, you see this one? <laughs> what I'm looking at. You know what I mean? You can probably see this. And then this is a podcast, right? So nobody can see anything, right? Yeah, nobody can see any of it. I know. Well, I know. I'm, I'm thinking already. I'm like, I got to figure out a way. I think what I might do actually is on the literary blog um, when we're promoting it. And maybe during the week, I might actually... Um, if you're cool with it, I might actually um, take some of your art, like JPEGs of some of your art, and put it on there with a hyperlink to your site. Because I think, because um, it, it, it loses something if you don't see like yeah. what we're looking at. You got to be able to see what that stuff is. Because my palette, people say, you know, oh, you're an artist. You know, what do you, what do you, what do you paint? What do you do? I'm like, well, actually, I, I've never painted anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't paint at all. What I do, though. Is I do paint, but I paint with paper. The paper and the colors in the paper are the things that I select are as my that's my palette. You know what I mean? And then I just put the paper and the colors a certain way. That's my puzzle. And I'm putting it and I'm putting my puzzle together. That's why I get the name puzzle piece arts, but it's puzzle P-E-A-C-E. You know what I mean? Puzzle right, right. actually has a double meaning, puzzle piece. And um you know, the thing is, I use repurposed materials. I use materials that were going to get thrown away. I, I mean, I use like old, like birthday cards and Father's Day cards, shoe boxes, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, magazine paper. Um, I use cord. I use wire. I use string. You know, I use uh, tiles. I use a lot of stuff. And where are you getting it from? Are you going? Uh, I mean, obviously, you're not buying it. So nope. what do you? What do you do? Dumpster diving and getting it? Oh hell yeah! I'm yeah. a big dumpster diver. That's what I did yeah. when I was in Harlem. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I was dumpster diving, and I pull out all kinds of stuff and sell it to people on the streets. And then, you know, one man's junk is another man's treasure. You know, what I mean, that was another way I survived. But the thing is, I, I actually um, I volunteer for a donation center called Yorktown Love in Action. It's in Yorktown, New York. And, you know, what, what we do is we, we, we're a donation center. We receive people's stuff. You know, I don't want to say people, yeah. you know what I mean? But right, people, right, right, yeah. Refurbish it, put it on the floor. And then uh, some things we give away to, to disadvantaged families or we sell things at a very minimum donation. And with the proceeds, you know, outside of what we need to run the business, I'm talking about we, but I've been there so long, I feel like a part of the family. Outside of what, what we need, to run the business and, and to stay to stay um, to stay above board to, to to function, you know, we 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 donate to you know people's wealth, 
well-being. You know, might pay somebody's gas bill, electric bill, might help somebody move, you know, might might deliver some furniture to somebody, but provide food. You know, so during the course of that, we we get all kinds of stuff. It's a gigantic, it's a big warehouse. You know what I mean? We got different sections of furniture, uh, uh, clothing, you know, uh, stationery, books, music, you know, all yeah. that. Yeah. All these things. It's really creative the way they did it. And, um, but you can't keep everything. You know what I mean? You can't keep everything. So we got a big dumpster in the back. So it's like sometimes some things will be around for a really long time. We just really can't. Got to make room for something else. And we're getting rid of stuff. And it's like, you know, so many times I said, hey, can I add this? And they're like, isn't that the thing that I just asked you guys to throw away? And I said, yeah. They said, of course you can have it. You can have anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just take it with you. You know what Yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. All I needed to hear. I'm like, well, okay. So then, you know, all kinds of stuff comes. So I, I, have you actually sold your stuff there? Have you actually done stuff and turned around like early work and gone, well, hey, this all came from your stuff. I'm, I'm here. How about we, instead of put it in the dumpster, let me just slap it back up on the wall. Is that, is that a thing? No, never, never. It's not oh, that yeah. kind of really. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, 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 we have enough trouble managing the stuff that we get. You know <laughs> I, I got you. Yeah. But if I get something I make now, I've taken plenty of pictures and said, you remember that mirror? You know, this is what I did with it. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I just sold it for fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, know? that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. So now, like, you, like you can always tell the story of the stuff that you're ma- you're putting out there, right? I got a great story for you. Uh-huh. There, there was this jukebox, right? There was this jukebox on the second floor of the donation center. Ask me how the hell they got it up there in the first place. I couldn't begin to tell you. I'm like, you, what did you, you got a, you got a piano mover to help you get this thing in here. So she asked me and another guy. She says, listen, can you guys get rid of this? This jukebox, she said, it's just, you know, I'm like, well, what's wrong with this? I said, what is broke? She said, no, it works just fine. I'm like, she said, but I was, she said, I was going to give it away or sell it. And she said, but it's been here for a couple of years and it's just taking up too much space. She said, it's lost this novelty for me. I said, okay. So then we're like, so do you want us to preserve it? She said, I don't care what you do. She said, just get it out of the building. We said, okay. So we know we couldn't carry it downstairs. It was just two of us. So we started trying to take it apart, you know, being, you know, that wasn't working because it was old screws where, you know, nuts were, the bolts were stripping and everything. It was, it was just, wasn't going to work. So what do we go? We go get the sledgehammer. Yeah. Get the sledgehammer. Guy winds up. I'm, I get out of the way. He takes a big swing. Boom. All of a sudden he hit that thing. When he hit that jukebox. And stuff started flying everywhere. I got so excited. <laughs> I said, hit it again. I said, oh, my God. He said, what, are you okay? Did I, did I, are you hurt? I said, no, hit it again. <laughs> and then I grabbed a bin and I started throwing old 45s, broken 45s and electronic parts and speakers and wires. And, you know, I think it was a couple coins in there. <laughs> I just threw it all in the bin. And he said, what are you going to do with that? I said, I'm taking this home with me. He said, for what? I said, you'll see. I said, I don't know now. I yeah. said, but you- oh my God. I, I think I might have sent you a picture of that one, but it's called, it turned into a piece called Inside Music. I mean, it's a phenomenal piece. You know what I mean? And it's actually been on display at a buddy of mine's boutique for the past year and a half. He's had a couple opportunities to sell it, but he's like, cousin, 
Do I have to sell it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> part of the boutique now. <laughs> you know, he said I would have bought it from you, but I can't afford it. <laughs> I was like, don't worry about what we're so. Coming. When you when you take a when you do a piece, do you always want to use it? Is your idea to always use, like in that case, you took the jukebox and stuff from the jukebox and made a piece? Would you ever mix pieces and go, okay, well, here's something from the jukebox, but also I've got this, I don't know, discarded a uh, bunch of discarded books, and I'll mix them together. You'll put it all together, okay? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, no doubt about it. So Mixing, I, no problem. I, and I, I feel bad now because I've been misdescribing. I guess what, what's the right nomenclature for what you do? Is it is it mixed media or are you should be should you be called a collagist? Like what's the right That's, word? It's collage art uh, created with mixed media. Um, okay. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. Collage, okay. I'm a collage artist, and I use mixed media. You know what I mean? Because I use all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? That's why it makes hence mixed media. And um, and it is in a collage uh, feel because here's what I do, too. As you might have noticed with my work, a lot of it is like, well, you've seen pictures. Mm-hmm. You've seen it in person. But most of my most of not all. Well, all my work is like two dimensional. You know, it comes off the canvas. You know what I mean? It, it, it It's raised. It's like, you know, it's like. You can touch it. You, you yeah. when you touch it, you're back. You know what I mean? It's, it's, Do you let people touch it? Absolutely. I just yeah, told them be be careful because it will touch you back. <laughs> I say, can I touch it? Yeah, yeah it's going to touch you back. You know what I mean? I make it to 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 take a beat and to take a licking and keep on ticking, <laughs> just like myself. You know what I mean? I'm a repurposed human being making art out of repurposed materials. I was destined for landfill myself. If I wouldn't have changed the way I was living, if I wouldn't have, as far down as I had fallen, if I wouldn't have caught myself in, in, or allowed myself to receive the help, you know what I mean? Uh, I, my, my wife, for example, my, my current wife, Victoria, and, uh, and now my kids and everyone else. And, and uh, I'm also a part of a fellowship now that helps me stay sober. You know what I mean? That I, and, and all these things, you know, it, now I am in a position, you know, where I, I, I have, uh, I'm recovering, you know what I mean? I'm recovering and I'll never stop recovering, you know what I mean? And I'll never be recovered, you know what I mean? So, but I, I, I am a repurposed human being, you know what I mean? And I, and I make art out of repurposed materials and so therefore that's where that's where the basics of everything i do come from and your you know? ti- and, and your ability to brand and market is is, is right back on point too because that all matches up it, it yeah that's what i was yeah. able and then now we have social media now it's like oh god you know that's how you found me you know what i mean I, and that's what i was gonna say like you, i mean i didn't say it when you're talking about it, but like you were you were doing it in the in, in the pre-social media age, when you were trying to do stuff in the nineties, like imagine what you would have done, boy, if, if social oh. media had been around, like, oh, like my priming. Oh my goodness. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think all the paper and ink that I use. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably even all the flights and all the travel, like you'd probably be in a home office, like exactly. working your ass off, you know, like, yeah. 
Exactly. I could do things remotely now, you know, like Zoom. Oh, yeah. Pictures. Then, yeah, God, you know what y'all got done? <laughs> you know? how, how many hours a week do you think you spend doing your art now? You know what? My art, my art, it, it, I do my art just like I do everything else in my life. Uh, I do it, I do it uh, uh, compulsively. You know what I mean? If, yeah. if I'm not doing my art, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I'm thinking about it, you know, um, but to answer your question specifically, you know, put it like this. I can come in here and I start working on a piece and my wife would literally have to come stand over me to make me stop to sit down yeah. and eat or to, 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 to go to, go to bed at night. Sometimes, you know, she'll wake up. I, I wait for her to go to sleep and I sneak up and I, <laughs> I'm trying to be quiet. And she comes, darling, are you out here working? <laughs> Yeah, you gotta understand. I'm in a creative spirit. This is for this is this is for this is for like immortality. I mean, for, yeah. for a lifetime here. I mean, what I'm creating here is gonna last throughout. You know, you know what I mean. This is forever. What I'm putting together yeah. now. I gotta capture the spirit right now. Yeah. So she'll go for that. She's like, okay, I understand. I'm gonna leave you alone. You know? Is there is there a sense I'm I'm going to do a little projection here because sometimes this is how I feel and tell me if this is something that you relate to. Is there a sense that like, hey, I'm unleashed and I got to make the most of this time because I have the opportunity to exploit what I have right now. So I got to sprint because this is because finally I'm I'm able to just blast and just get after it. Is there is there that sense for you? The wild part. I used to feel like that back in the nineties when I was doing what I was doing. Yeah. Now it's different. Interesting. Everything that I've done and everything I've been through, I'm just blessed to be able to put something together, man. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And put something together that I like and that makes me feel good doing, but that somebody else could look at and say, Oh my God, who did that? Or <laughs> you did that? And oh my God, I'd like to have that for myself. I'm like, man, listen, if it was up to me, I'd be giving our art away left and right. But my wife says we gotta eat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we gotta eat. But so, yeah. but what I'm saying is, and this is the beauty of 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 the internet and social media. I, I I'm not even going all out because there's so many different ways that I, I'm sure I can taking more advantage of the internet and sure. so and pushing things a lot harder. But you know what? This is, I'm in a stage in my life where everything's organic, man. You know what I mean? That just the way I come, come to when I put my art together, a lot of the process is organic. It just kind of like comes. And that's also how it, like, it's just like it got to you. It got to you. And mm -hmm. I didn't stand out on a street corner yeah. with, or a bullhorn saying, look at Puzzle Piece Arts. I'm here. Look at this. Yeah. What are you I, didn't, yeah. I, didn't, I just took a picture. I put it on Instagram. And then I sat back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I, I created something. I took a picture of it. I put it on Instagram. And I went on to the next thing to create while I was out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. While I doing this thing i'm still in here doing something new and then so on and so on and so on and then it all just comes it comes yeah. when, it, when it comes i got a call from you guys i'm excited i'm really excited about the sugarloaf performing arts center 
the 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 uh what's the name of the festival again? Savage, Savage. Wonder. Savage Wonder. Wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is what is that name? Where do you get the name? From? Yeah, Savage. I know. That was that was my um that was my uh, I guess it was really just kind of word association. So when I was doing um when I started the podcast or I had the idea for the podcast and for the literary blog. And I was like, what am I trying to capture with this? And I was like, well, I'm trying to capture veterans in the arts and um, it's starting with writing and all that. And I was like, okay, so let me just, I was like, there's gotta be like, I mean, we're veterans repertory theater and that's great. It's a good descriptive name, but it's not like a name that lights up the room. It's not like a, you know, Oh my God, where'd you come up with that? What a creative name. You know, it's like, it's, it's a good descriptor. And it's necessary, but I was like, I want a good, um, descriptive name. So I, I started to, uh, yeah, I just started to list all the qualities, all the words, all the ideas that, um, that I wanted that to capture that I thought veterans in the arts could bring to life. And what I came up with is, huh? Yeah. Savage and wonder. Like there's the, the, the there's the, the degree that's a savage and there's the degree that's like a wonder. And, um, and I was like, yeah, just all the connotations of it without I never really tried to articulate it too much, but yeah, just, all the connotations of those words. Yeah. It's very provocative. Savage wonders. It is thought provoking. It may, it's something that you like, well, what is this about? I got to come see what this is about. You know what I mean? So I, I'm glad to be a part of it, man. You know, and Sugarloaf Performing Arts Center. Oh my God. I didn't, I never knew about that facility. It's, it's amazing. I know. I know. And I think um, I'm, I'm hoping I'm, I'm trying not to get over my skis when I say this, but I think we're going to make some, uh, I think we're going to be good for that site also, not just get it. Uh, you know, it's, it's had a rough couple of years with COVID like everybody has, but yeah. you're going to get it back on the map um, as well. Cause people, yeah, it's a great site. It's a great site, but it's also a great, it, what, what we love about it is all the flexibility that it offers. And the fact that we can do three stages and still have an art gallery yeah. and like a full spectrum art gallery for you guys is like, man, I mean, that's a, that's a easy easy layup for us to take that you know listen when when you invited me to come out and have a look at it i mean you know my i was just drooling because it falls i mean in line with what the things i used to do in the 90s it would have been the perfect venue yeah. so many things yeah. so functional oh god yeah. and it, aesthetically it's just like uh ooh, i can't wait so dude, I, I can't wait to see how how your arts gonna be hanging up there because i think i think it's gonna um I mean, I know we were looking at it like the lights were sort of dim and everything. And it was like, even there, you know, without it being, you know, fully flexed and like really ready for an art show, um, right. When, you know, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning or whatever it was, yeah, yeah. Uh, we- man, I can't wait to see how your stuff's going to hang there. It's going to look yeah. really cool. I'm confident that it's that my art along with the other participating artists and the other participating veterans it's gonna be, it's gonna be a monster. Yeah, you that gallery is gonna look amazing. It's gonna be savage, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be savage. I know y'all, y'all better have your QR codes ready because I think stuff's gonna move a lot on that day. I think uh, it's yeah. gonna be a great, a great staging for, uh, for your stuff, man. Dude, this is, um, you know, it. Uh, this is why I love doing this podcast. You never fucking know how this stuff's gonna go. You, you, you know, a starting point. You're like, he's a veteran and he's an artist. And I got to like the art. Otherwise, there's no point talking. But then, you know, you just don't know all the everything that goes into the mix. And all all you all I know going into it is the end result. I know the art that comes out. I know it's something that moves me and that I like. And you just never know the story behind it. And to sit down and talk with you about it, that has added, I mean, 
appreciation on top, a deep appreciation and um, movement, like a beauty, an extra layer of beauty that I see on top of the art now when I look at it, seeing all that's gone into it. And um, dude, I, uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to talk and, and unpack all that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was the savage wonder of Auguster D. Williams, Jr. You've been listening to Savage Wonder, the podcast for warriors and artists and a production of the Veterans Repertory Theater. Uh, Gus dragged it out of me. I've not had, it's been, what, 30 episodes or so and uh, haven't talked about the origins really of Savage Wonder uh, too much. I guess I talked to, yeah, I haven't really talked about it a whole lot. I'm trying to think if there was somebody I talked about it with before, but not to that degree if I did. Anyway, um, there's uh, nobody embodies the Savage Wonder concept more than Gus. Uh, he he hits on both fronts there. And uh, if you're like me, you can't wait to see his work live in person. Um, do yourself a favor because you just listened to um, a long, in-depth episode with him. Go check out his work. Uh, you, you, you're, you're, you can't hear about art and not see it. Um, so check out the show notes, uh, go click on his links, go to his Instagram page, go to his websites. And, um, if you're already a member of the, the Savage Wonder literary blog, um, and have a subscription, which by the way is free, uh, you, you'll see it, you know, coming at you in delivered right to your inbox all week. Um, certainly we'll be pushing it on, on the Savage Wonder Festival website at savagewonder.com. And, um, and we'll be pushing on social and all that, but go right to the horse's mouth, go right to, to Gus's Instagram feed, go right to his website and, and, and see his work. Uh, do yourself that favor. Cause I think it'll, it's the perfect cap to hearing two hours of us discussing, um, not just his work, but also what led to the creation of his work. So for everything else that's going on with Veterans Repertory Theater, go to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. Find out about our 2022 staged reading season. Find out about our Instagram live events. uh, Find out about our literary blog, the podcast, all that stuff. Um, Check it all out, vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. I guess I already said that. Anyway, regardless, go there, check all that stuff out. And do not forget that the Savage Wonder Festival will be here sooner than you can believe. And if you want to see, if you care about veterans and if you care about the arts, why not go to the first ever festival of veterans in the arts? Uh, The Savage Wonder Festival is taking place on May 29th, 2022, the day before Memorial Day at the beautiful Sugarloaf Performing Arts Center in upstate New York in Chester, New York. Um, about 40 veterans in the arts, I think we'll be featuring uh, everything from poetry to movie screenings to live music, uh, all kinds of music, everything from the classical music of Jesus Daniel Hernandez to the metal of Jericho Hill. The, I don't know what you call it. Uh, I, I hear traces of the pixies, traces of cheap trick uh, and, 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 traces of the sex pistols when i listen to major glenn um but anyway you'll have country we'll have everything all all, cornucopia of music uh movie screenings poetry dance of course roman baca and exit 12 dance company will be there it's going to be awesome it's going to be a badass festival do yourself a favor find out 
everything that you could possibly want to know about the festival, including all of the acts, uh, a little bit about them, their biographies. Um, we are constantly adding things to the festival. So get the most updated list of who's at the festival and what the schedule is like, when they're going to be performing, when you can see them, uh, you know, for Gus and, and his fellow artists, they will be on all day long. So as long as you show up, you should be able to find your way to the art gallery and see them. But for the performers, obviously check out the schedule and all that. The best place to do that is at savagewonder.com, savagewonder, all one word.com, savagewonder.com. And the tickets, as you're listening to this, are as cheap as they are going to be. They are only going to get more expensive the closer and closer we get. So do not waste any time. Go get tickets immediately, if I were you. If you're listening to this on iTunes, please and thank you for giving us a five-star review. Uh, You can say whatever you want to us, but if you can just make sure that you put five stars there, that would be a big help. We'd appreciate it. And as always, you can find us on social media. If you're on Facebook, we are at Veterans Repertory Theater. And I know nobody knows how to spell repertory, so I'll spell it for you here. It's at Veterans, R-E-P-E-R-T-O-R-Y Theater, at Veterans Repertory Theater. And theater is spelled E-R, not R-E, because we're Americans. Um, so go check that out if you're on Facebook. If you're on Twitter or on Instagram, we are at VetRep Theater, V-E-T-R-E-P Theater, at VetRep Theater on Twitter or Instagram. If you're a veteran and you want to submit your work to Veterans Repertory Theater or to our literary blog, go to vetrep.org, go to our submissions tab, and you will find all the information you need on how to submit to us, when to submit to us, why to submit to us, uh, what to submit to us. So um, pretty much your whole five W's is covered if you just go to vetrep.org and to the submissions tab. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of the Veterans Repertory Theater. See you next time. We'll dive further into the savage wonder of it all.